So if you would turn in your Bibles or flip on your smartphones to the reading for this morning, it comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27. Hear these words from the book that we love. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning again, um, Pastor Evan. If you're just coming in, we're thankful that you're here today. Um, I think it's important uh, just to mention a couple things right off the bat here. We are aware of the CDC's new guidance uh, and what Pennsylvania has said. Uh, we have to talk to Klein Life about that because we are in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia tends to be a little bit slower in making policy changes than Pennsylvania. Um, so we want to make sure that we are honoring and respecting Klein Life well. And so um, we're going to talk to them this week, and we'll let you know next week where we stand with all that. Um, Philadelphia might make its own changes, and then that's kind of what it is. But um, we're very much aware of that. So for now, wear your mask. Either Jesus will come back or mask mandates will be lifted at some point. And um, hoping for the former personally, but if not the latter. Um, but thank you for wearing your mask and helping us um, maintain safety here at Liberty Northeast. Uh, our next sermon series is the Upper Room Discourse. We're going to go through John 14 through 17. So we're wrapping up called out ones today. And we're actually going to uh, be moving into John chapter 14 through 17 and kind of go through those kind of famous last words of Jesus, kind of what he said to his disciples before he went to his crucifixion. So um, I hope you'll join that for us. I think that will be spiritually very beneficial for you, very motivating. Um, I, this year we're trying to be more devoted to Jesus, and I think that will actually drive you to that. Uh, what better way to learn how to be devoted to Jesus but to hear Jesus' own words. And so that's um, something I hope you will join us uh, next week in going through with us. Um, but we're wrapping up our series called Out Ones. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that's page number 1, if you have one of those black Bibles in the back. So I did it really, it's really easy for you today. Page number 1, Genesis 1. Unless you have one of those weird Bibles where it's like page number 5, uh, it should be page number one. And uh, today I really want to talk about Jesus and gender, particularly around the topic of transgenderism. A few points I want to drive home before we begin. Number one, this is a hard topic. I've read a lot, I've prayed a lot about it, I've listened to sermons and podcasts from people who would disagree with my conclusions today. I tried my best not to listen just to my echo chamber, but to listen to people who would disagree with me. But it's an important topic. I'm trying to approach this pastorally, theologically, and biblically, but I'm also trying to approach this subject with love, humility, and respect. And I don't typically like to do these prefaces to my sermons, but I want you to know that this is a heavy topic, and I'm aware of that. I'm not just going to blow through it. So you might be used to me dropping on in jokes and stuff like that, but there's probably not going to be much joke telling today, although I can't promise where spirit will lead us, um, just like that joke right there. But I do think we need to be intellectually honest. The Bible does not directly 
address transgenderism. Transgenderism as a term is new. So the Bible doesn't directly address it, but there are things we can infer from the Bible to help us address this and live as called out ones in our culture. So first, I want to talk about what transgenderism is and what what it means to be transgender. Uh, If Mark Yarhouse, he's a Christian psychologist, he has this definition. Transgender is an umbrella term for the many ways in which people might experience and or present and express or live out their gender identities differently from people whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. What's he, what he's saying is, transgender is an umbrella term. It's a big term. It covers a lot of different people and a lot of different experiences, but essentially the experience comes down to this. Somebody is born with certain genitalia, but their brains do not match in their minds what their genitalia tells them. So, for example, you could be a biological male who identifies as female or vice versa. So, sex and gender in this idea are not synonyms. They are different. Your sex is your sexed body, your genitalia, but your gender is your identity, which is psychological. And so I think it's also really important for us to remember, like you'll hear terms like gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a psychological term. It doesn't describe all people who uh, identify as transgender, uh, but it is, you'll hear terms like that. And I'm not going to be able to hit every term today. I'm not going to be able to hit things like rapid onset gender dysphoria or intersex persons. There are great books out there for that. We gave you a book, Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. If you have not picked up that book, I don't think we have any left, Laura, but we are... Um, encouraging you to go on Amazon and buy that book. I think that'd be a really helpful book embodied by Preston Sprinkle. But essentially, we have a world where people's experiences are experiences of incongruence. There's There's not harmony within them. Myself, who identifies as a heterosexual man, cisgender, heterosexual man, I see what is on the outside and what on the inside matches. But there's people who legitimately do not feel that harmony that I feel. Some are psychologically diagnosed with gender dysphoria, but not all are or feel that they should be or need to be. And there's actually debate within the transgender community. Do you need to be psychologically diagnosed as somebody with trans... Oh, sorry, gender dysphoria to claim to be transgender, or can you just feel that you are, and therefore you are? But everyone is trying to figure out how they should live, and they just want to do so peacefully. And so when we use the word transgender, I want you to realize we're talking about people, not ideas. When you talk about transgender persons, you're talking about people created in the image of God, who God loves and cares about. And if you experience that incongruity yourself, I want you to know. Incongruence yourself, I want you to know. You're born in the image of God and God loves you. And we know you are a person, not an idea and not a political platform. And I want to say I'm sorry right off the bat that the church has used it and used you to set up a political platform 
And I'm sorry that the other side, the secular world, has used people like you who've had that experience to, use, to set up political platforms. It's not the way of Jesus. And I want to approach this in humility, but I want you to know not every transgender person is the same. But Preston Sprinkle says time and time again in his book, if you met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. It's not if you met one, you've met them all, you've met one. That is your experience. That is their experience. For many of us, the gay rights movement was kind of this slow chipping away at the cultural wall, and it feels like transgenderism is a fast-moving train that just blew right through the wall. So like the gay rights movement, the uh, the gay and lesbian rights movement has slowly chipped away at the cultural wall, but now there's this train that just kind of like blows right through the wall. And scientists and psychologists and educators and pastors and social workers and legislators are all scrambling, trying to catch up to this new thing, to try to catch up to this train. And so you might be familiar, you might start seeing this in popular culture. So, for instance, there's a show on Amazon Prime called Transparent, where it's about a family's experience of their dad, who's a transgender woman. There's also another show, it's a reality show, about a transgender female teenager, I Am Jazz, who's laying in the front there. Biologically born as a man, as a male, identifies as a woman. And then probably the most popular person you have heard of is Caitlyn Jenner, born as Bruce Jenner, a male athlete, identifies as Caitlyn Jenner, female, and in hopes in hope to be the next governor of California. Instagram this week gave you the opportunity to make your pronouns of your gender identity, put those on your Instagram profile. See, culture is moving this direction. It wants to move this direction, and it's kind of blowing right through the cultural wall. And even in legislation, we started to see this. This week, the Department of Health and Human Services basically made it impossible for a doctor to decline someone to have sex transition surgery or gender transition surgery. A doctor can't say, I'm sorry, I think this would be hurtful and unhelpful to you based on what I believe. See, out of fear of being on the wrong side of history, right? That's the classic claim. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history. The funny part of that is, the ironic part of it is, is act like we know the future, what side history is going to land on. We don't know. But everybody's afraid to be on the wrong side of history. So many have jumped onto the train without considering, it's, considering if this is a runaway train. Is this a runaway train? And what are the consequences for that? Others don't care if people are on a runaway train. And instead, they mock it or avoid it altogether. But many of us are just standing on the platform, trying to figure out if we should jump on or not. Many of us just don't know what's the best way to go about it. But regardless, the train's coming. It's here, it's moving fast. 
And what I want us to take away today, I want you you to take away today that gender must be discipled by Jesus for God's glory. That despite the debates that go on our culture, gender needs to be discipled by Jesus for God's glory. And so I want to talk about the debates over gender. And I want so gender debated, I want to talk about gender discipled. So the first, gender debated. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Gender is debated in our world and the idea is that it should either be destruct, deconstructed or gender is designed. John Tyson is a pastor in New York. That's his framework. As gender is to be deconstructed, that's one way the debate is held. The other side of the debate is that gender is designed. From Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created two sexes, male and female, and both male and female carry God's image. So in the ancient Near East, a God's image was his representative on earth. So if you made an image of your God of stone or wood or bronze or iron, it was that God's representative on earth. But here's what Yahweh does. Here's what the Christian God does. He creates humans and he says, you are my image. Your neighbors may have bronze and wooden and gold and silver idols. You have flesh and bones. You are my walking idols. You are my representatives on earth. And so while the, the people, the male, the woman and the man, Adam and Eve, they're representatives of God. They're his images on earth. They share that purpose, but they are distinct. They are different and they complement each other. God's purpose in creating male and female is that they represent him in distinct ways. They're not supposed to represent him in the same way. It's to be a distinct way. And God's given male and female as gifts to the world to do things like populate it or care for it, among other things. But in our culture, gender is to be deconstructed. So yes, gender is dis- genders are distinct, but in our culture, gender is supposed to be deconstructed. And so what we do, we do this kind of in two ways. The first way we do it is we blur the lines, right? You may have recently seen nursing parent rooms instead of nursing mother's rooms. Because a transgender woman who's biologically excuse me, a transgender man who's biologically born as a female can still nurse a baby. It's a nursing parent room. You have chest feeding rather than breastfeeding. And toys now at Target aren't labeled boys' or girls' toys. They're just toys. So if a girl likes football, she won't feel ostracized. Or if a boy likes watercolors, he won't feel ostracized. And I think that comes from a good place, right? Like, it comes from a good place. 
but it's starting to blur the lines. See, I remember watching a, bro- a dad and his and a brother of this little boy at Marshall's, and I was, they were standing in front of me in the line, and the boy wanted to buy these artistic coloring pencils, and I watched his dad and his brother mock him. Laugh, his brother legitimately laughed in his face because he liked art. So you can see why culture goes, we don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that for my boys. See, the desire is to be sensitive. It's, it's not ostracized. But we have to be careful of blurring the lines too much. See, the Bible makes it clear that male and female are distinct. They're distinct gifts. So we've got to be careful about blurring the lines. For instance, wherever the Bible talks about cross-dressing, it's always prohibited. Always. Deuteronomy 22.5 talks exactly about that. It's an abomination to God. Why? It's not because men can't wear kilts. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying, though, is that the genders are distinct. It's blurring the lines. Even Paul, when he affirms these cultural aspects of worship that distinguish between male and female, he talks about women wearing head coverings, and men don't need to. These are cultural affirmations of what's going on because what Paul's concerned about is not that women forever of all time and all eternity wear head coverings, but that in the, his culture, there's a clear distinction between, in his mind, and biblically and theologically, there's a clear distinction between male and female, and that should not be blurred too much. So I'm not suggesting that like all women who wear pants are now somehow out of God's will. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is we have to be careful about blurring the lines for good reasons to the, place, to the point where they blur, are completely blurred and we can't tell the difference. It's not the way the Bible wants it to be. It's not the way God wants it to be. Male and female are distinct. They have unique gifts and they both point us to God the Father in different ways. But the other way culture does this is we start to drive a gap between your sex, your body, and your gender, your identity. And so the gap there gets larger. It's not just like you are born biologically a male, therefore you are a man. It's you're born biologically a male. You might be a man. You might not be. So there's this drive to distinguish between sex and gender. And people become more fragmented. And the way this works out, and we're going to have it on the screen, this is kind of how people start to identify you have your gender identity, which is just psychologically, are you male or female? Your gender expression, so outwardly, do you dress like a male or do you dress like a female? And then there's your biological sex, your anatomy, your genitalia, and then your sexual orientation, the person or the gender or sex you are attracted to. So it can be that how you answer those questions, what's my gender identity, my gender expression, my biological sex, which seems to be scientifically very, the only one that kind of is like straightforward, and the fourth one, your sexual orientation, those things could be all answered in different ways, and so that's why you have this spectrum in our culture. You'll hear that word spectrum a lot. And so you could identify as a male who dresses like a female, 
who ha is biologically a male who is attracted to other men or attracted to women or both. It's confusing. It's fragment fragmentation. And this, the problem with this view, though, fragmentation smells like the ancient heresy of Gnosticism to me. I think it's too simple if we say it is Gnosticism, but this fragmentation, this idea that your sex body doesn't matter, what matters is what's inside of you. The Bible pushes back on that time and time again. The Bible affirms the value of your body. You're not a body and that you have to just shed this body one day to be free of it, to live as a spirit, wherever that spirit is going to be. That's kind of the ancient view of Gnosticism. In our culture, it's very similar, right? This body is a problem that I have to figure out. And what's inside of me is the true me. It's dangerously close to that. So my question to you and to anyone who holds the view that gender is to be deconstructed, I ask, why does it, what I feel inside determines what I see on the outside? Or better yet, like, why doesn't my biological sex keep my gender identity in check rather than the other way around? Why is it that my body is not the one that I look at to say, this is who I am? Why is it that what goes on in my mind determines who I am? And there's a lot of good reasons for that historically. We've become a very psychological society, right? Somebody's having trouble, we send them to a psychologist, and that's good, and that's valuable, and that's wonderful. It's a gift from God. Psychology is a gift from God. But we've gotten to this point where their bodies don't really matter. And what the Bible says is this on the outside checks what's on the inside, not the other way around. You're a full person. The Bible sees value in your physical body. God gave it to you as a gift. So my question is, why is it what's on the inside the determining factor for who I am rather than the outside? And my other question would be like, why not other identities? Why is a gender identity the only one we say we should affirm? Why not other identities? You may remember the news of Rachel Dolezal. I'm going to put her picture on the screen. Rachel Dolezal was the, the head of her local NAACP. The problem is that Rachel is a biological white woman who identifies as a black woman. And when they found out that she was biologically white, they fired her. And Rachel still says, I don't identify as white, I identify as black. So why not Rachel? Why not her? Why could she, if we're going to be consistent, shouldn't she be allowed to? So why not other identities? What about another identity of men who identify as dogs? This is a real picture. It's a man who identifies as a dog. Why not him? If we're going to be consistent, why can't we affirm him too? Here's what this man in the link, uh, sorry, in the article says. He says, it feels like you can be gay, straight, bisexual, trans, and be accepted. All I want is for the pup community to be accepted in the same way the same language. 
If they can be accepted, why can't I be? But our culture scoffs at this. We might laugh at this and quickly dismiss it, but why not Rachel? Why not this man who identifies as a dog if we're going to be consistent? But then the other, part, the other way our culture debates is that gender is designed. So gender is deconstructed, and I think there's problems there, but I also think there's problems with gender being designed. See, the problem with gender-designed approach, it typically funnels into gender roles. Men and women have particular roles in society and the home, and if anybody goes outside of that, they are breaking from sometimes what we typically say is the Bible, but oftentimes what we say is from their design. Good Housekeeping in 1955 wrote this article about what it means to be a good wife, so just get ready for this. I'm ahead of time. Here's some of the things that the article says that a wife is supposed to do. A wife should definitely stay at home. The husband goes to work. All right. So far, kind of okay. But on top of that, your job is not just to take care of the kids and the house. You have to make sure you're done up all the time. So when your husband comes home, he sees you beautiful and well manicured and dressed and even, like, there's, part, there's actually other articles that I've read back in the day where women were told to go to bed in their dress, in their makeup, until their husband falls asleep, then go take care of themselves, then go to bed, get up before he does, so you can put your makeup and your dress back on, so your husband never sees you as your true self, only as made up you. The kids are to be clean when your husband arrives home. <laughs> You need to be happy and interesting at all times. But here's why. Because his boring day may need a lift, and one of your duties is to provide it. And you may have things you want to tell your husband, but don't when he gets home. Because his, quote, his topics of conversation are more important than yours. And last but not least, number 15 on the list, I believe, a good wife always knows her place. Many seeking to be faithful Christians have seen the distinction, rightly seen the distinction between male and female, but have wrongly assumed that those roles have some type of design. Men go to work, women stay at home. And the problem is that that's influenced more from the Industrial Revolution than the Bible. Where home, 200 years ago, home was a place where men and women partnered together and they farmed together and they were both out in the field together and they're caring for the home together. We fragmented that again and take, took the distinction and said, therefore, men and women need to do separate jobs in society so it's not wrong if a wife wants to stay home with the children. That's great. That's one of the hardest jobs in the entire world. But that's a practical or personal consideration. It's not a biblical one. I want you to hear me. Because I've heard it thrown around both sides. The women who work are not taking care of the home, and the women who stay at home are not doing their jobs for society. And they're just selfish and want to sit around their jammies all day. 
See, what would happen is we've given into stereotypes rather than the gospel. And I think Preston Sprinkle does a good job when he says, stereotypes might fit the natural desires and experiences of many or even most males and females, but not all. So you might say, okay, most women are gentle and caring and nurturing, therefore staying at home is a really good idea. But that might be the experience of many or most females, but not all. And so stereotypes are, listen to this, are descriptions of how many men and women behave, but they aren't biblical prescriptions for all. It might be a description that boys like football, when we say that, we're saying most boys do. But if your son wants to buy coloring pencils at Marshall's, you don't say, well, that's not what boys do. You say, wonderful son. I'm glad God created you that way, and I'm going to support you in it because I love you. If you never touch a football in your life, I will still love you because that's how God designed you and made you. See, we've made descriptive things into prescriptive things, and we said, well, women are better child-rearers, excuse me, better at raising children, (laughs) kind and compassionate, so they should stay home. While men are strong, and they can deal with the harsh realities of working in climate-controlled offices, talking to potty-trained grown-ups all day, so they should go to work. Like, do you know how hard it is to talk to kids all day when you, the husband gets to go out and talk to people who, know how, who are already potty trained? See, in the Bible, Deborah was a judge. Anna was a prophet. Phoebe was a deacon. Women did things that were countercultural. In the Bible, God's described as father and husband, but he's also described as a nursing mother, a mother bear, a mother eagle, a birthing mother. So perhaps it's stereotypes that are the problem. Like for both sides, maybe the problem is that we're perpetuating stereotypes. Maybe the problem is not that gender needs to be deconstructed or gender is designed, is that we're actually pushing stereotypes forward. So the problem is not whether your son likes watercolors more than football. The problem is that we've taken descriptive things of most boys and made them prescriptive for all boys. Or we've taken things that are descriptive of most girls and made them descriptive of all girls. So if boys like football, but girls don't, As a description, we say, girls can't. They can't like football. It's not what girls do. Or if most girls like watercolors and boys don't, we say, well, boys can't like watercolors. And so my encouragement to you is let's be clear where the Bible is, but let's stop making things clear that the Bible doesn't make clear. Be clear where it is, but not clear where it isn't. See, both sides, what we like to do, we like to put people into boxes. Both sides do this. We push boys who like watercolors or like the color pink into transitioning and to be a stereotypical girl. We're pushing that boy into a box. 
And if you read experiences of parents who decide to transition their kids, it's, always, it's pretty much always that. My son didn't like football and sports, but he liked playing with dolls and dancing, so I said, he must be a girl. Let's make him a girl. Or we push a boy who likes watercolors or pink into being a stereotypical all-American boy. That's pushing the child into a box, too. Hey, son, I know you like watercolors and you like pink more than you like blue. Watercolors more than you like pink and blue. But you know what? You're a boy, so get out and throw football around. See, we want to be better than this. We need to be better than this. And we want our children to be the best versions of themselves, and we want people to be the best versions of themselves, and that's all a really good thing. But when we put people into boxes, when the Bible lives in the tension, that's a problem. See, when we put people in boxes they don't fit in, we do this irreversible damage. We hurt them deeply, or worse, we hurt them physically. Or it becomes not what's best for them, but what's best for you. So when dads push their sons to play football who have no desire to play football, it's what's best for you, but it's not what's best for them. So your buddies might do side glances and make fun of you because they never see your kid catch a football at every barbecue and picnic. But that's okay. If your daughter wants to play, that's okay too. Or if she wants to watch the Eagles games with you and your son doesn't, it's okay. See, let's be clear where the Bible is clear but not clear where it isn't. Let's be okay with the tension. Otherwise, we're going to create this. We're going to push people in these boxes and irreversible damage is going to happen. Rather, we should say, God made you a biological female and that's a wonderful thing. And God made you a biological female who loves football and that's a wonderful thing too. And that tension is beautiful. Live in it. You don't need to fix it. Live in it. There are tons of ways to live out the freedom that we have in the gospel and in Christ that will still bring God glory, even if they don't look like the stereotypes. Christians should be the first to celebrate that tension, to celebrate boys and girls living in the freedom that they, that they have in Christ to explore different things and still affirm in them that you are a boy because you were born a boy and you are a girl because you're born a girl. But if you want to do these other things, let's do them together. My fear is that if we always accommodate the stereotypical majority, the minority will go looking elsewhere for love and acceptance. So our gender needs to be discipled. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God 
in your body. See, while the world debates about gender, the call of Jesus is that our gender would be discipled by him. God cares what we do with our bodies. That was my point last week. Why? Because Jesus purchased those bodies. So God, it matters to God what you do with your body. See, one day Jesus will come back and he'll restore creation. What does Romans 8 says? He'll redeem our bodies. He'll redeem our bodies. Both those who feel incongruence and those who don't need salvation. Both those who feel incongruence and those who don't need our bodies redeemed by Jesus. Our bodies won't be cast away. We won't go living on as spirits or disembodied souls. No, our bodies will be redeemed, renewed, restored. Why? Because Jesus gave up his body for ours. So we must have our bodies, including our gender, discipled by Jesus. So the Bible calls us in Romans 12, 1, says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let Jesus disciple you with your, in your body, make you a holy and acceptable sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship, Romans 12 says. See, God gives us our bodies. He purchased our bodies and asks us to present our bodies to be used by him for his glory until what? He redeems our bodies. He gives us our bodies, purchases our bodies, asks us to present our bodies until he redeems those bodies. And he invites us to come to Jesus, the one who purchased us with his blood, to be discipled by him. We don't ask people to be discipled by me. We ask people to be discipled by Jesus. And sometimes Jesus uses me. Our bodies, our physical bodies, are part of this redemptive work that God is doing. Your physical body is you. You are exactly the person God created you to be. And my encouragement to you is to lay down your gender at the feet of Jesus and be discipled by him. And at his feet, you'll find true freedom. The freedom you're looking for in your gender is to be found at the feet of Jesus. So the question I have to ask myself is how can I, in the body God has given me, Use the gifts, preferences, and abilities he's given me for his glory. Luke 15 talks about tax collectors and sinners, and it's interesting. Luke 15 opens up and it says the tax collectors and the sinners, when they were drawn to Jesus. That's verse 1. Verse 2, you know what it says? The religious types grumbled. Something about Jesus made tax collectors and sinners, the people whose society tried to keep out. Something about Jesus made them go, I want to get a better look at this guy. And what happened is the religious types grumble and complain. See, shouldn't Liberty Northeast be the place where transgender persons come and go, I want to get a closer look at Jesus? We should never be a hurdle to anyone or for anyone coming 
take a closer look at Jesus. We should never grumble and complain. That's not the heart and attitude of Jesus. So we have to put Jesus up front and put our political or our social media dogma in the back. For many of us, we have this idea that people need to believe before they belong, before they behave. But the idea, and John Tyson talks about this in his sermon on uh, Jesus and the transgender community. He talks about instead, Jesus invites us to belong, then believe, and then become. Belong, believe, and then become a disciple. So if you experience incongruence between your body and your mind, you're invited to come and belong. But my encouragement to you is don't wrestle alone. And for the rest of us, my encouragement to you is that let's be a place together where we see our sexed bodies as gifts from God and live as people who embrace that, males as godly males and females as godly females, and if we're doing our job, transgender persons or those experiencing gender dysphoria, intersex people, people of rapid onset gender dysphoria will show up. And if we aren't that kind of place, they'll go looking elsewhere. Where would you rather them be? At the feet of Jesus or trying to find freedom in the world? So as I close, three points that I want to challenge you on and encourage you to do. Number one, be loving. If someone comes to you and says that they are experiencing this incongruence, that they, I feel like I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, your first move should be to listen to them. Ask them good questions. Be humble, but be clear. Be clear where the Bible is and don't be clear where the Bible isn't. Let them know that you're always there for them and you're always going to be a listening ear. See, it's better to lose the argument than to lose the person. It's better that that person disagrees with your idea of what the Bible says gender should be than to lose them as a person. And don't mock or make jokes about transgender persons. You never know who's listening. And you never know what's going on on the inside. Please, please, please be careful around your kids. You don't know. But their friends are going to be very willing, their preschool teachers are going to be very willing to push them down a certain road. So for your kids, my encouragement to you is to be proactive, not reactive. Talk to your kids about it, because if you don't, their preschool teacher will. So be loving, but also be respectful. And I think this is particularly around pronouns. See, if I came up to you and I said, hi, my name is Evan, you wouldn't go, no, you're not. Greet and say hello to the person and talk to them the way they would like you to talk to them. Refer to the person as they want to be referred. It's not be lying to do that. It's called not being a jerk. If somebody comes up to you and they say, Hi, I am Susie, and your eyes tell you differently, you say, 
Hi, Susie. How are you? That's called not being a jerk. So be respectful and be caring. Commit to wrestling with someone who comes to you and tells you they're experiencing incongruence. See, what a lot of people are looking for, they're not looking to destroy our world. They're just looking to live peacefully. But inside, there is no peace, and they need the peace of Jesus. But they also need people who say, I'm in this with you. I'll wrestle with you. I'll work this through with you. No matter how hard this is, I'm here. And you have to find ways to accommodate. If we have a men's event, we shouldn't assume that all men like smoked meat and fillies. We shouldn't. We're accommodating the majority and the minority is left out. We can't make events that hit every single thing. I get that. But we have to be careful. And we need to accommodate. So look, this is a difficult topic. It's a really difficult topic. And I thank you for listening to me today and processing this. And I know the train is moving fast and it's moving faster each day. But as followers of Jesus, I want you to approach this humbly, respectfully, with truth in love, seeking to honor him, not yourself. And let's all submit our gender to be discipled by Jesus for his glory. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, if you're here today and you are experiencing any incongruence and what's on the outside doesn't match with what's on the inside, I want to encourage you to go to your Heavenly Father who won't be like the dad at Marshall's who laughs in the face of his son, but be the dad who who, like in the prodigal son story, runs to you, embraces you, and throws you a party because you've returned home. And for all of us, Father, I pray that we would submit our gender to Jesus. We would give our gender and our, and our bodies over to Jesus, our sex and gender being the same thing, but may we be godly men and godly women. May we be discipled by Jesus. Lead us forward, guide us, we pray. As we confess our sins, even the sins we do with our bodies, we pray that you would forgive us because Jesus died for us. And we thank you that we can take or we can have assurance in that. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.